Hello, thank you for listening to this podcast. I thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to be a supporter of this podcast and uh, if this is of benefit to you, please go to patreon.com slash Timothy Yap and we'll be uh, we'll love to hear from you and we'd love to have your support. It's patreon.com slash Timothy Yap. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you and God bless you. Father, as we come before your holy presence once again to hear your word, Father, our hearts longed for you. Father, like a dry and weary land, Father, in need of fresh anointing water, Father, we come thirsty again for you. So, Father, as we come into your presence again to drink from your living word, we pray, Father, you removed our our minds and our hearts from distractions and from Satan's fiery ways. Help us to listen to your word as we give in and lean in to what your Holy Spirit has to say. So Father, be with us in the next few moments as we ponder upon your powerful and gracious word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Mary Daniel hadn't seen a husband for 114 days due to the coronavirus restrictions. And for the last seven years, her husband has been living under a senior care facility centre when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And for the last seven years, Mary Daniel had been visiting her husband every night and would get ready for him for bed. And But when the coronavirus pandemic hit, um, the health facilities have uh, restricted visitors from entering to prevent the spread of the COVID-19 to vulnerable patients. So the facility closed its doors to visitors on March 11th. It was the last time she ever saw her husband as a visitor. Mary Daniel worried about, was very much worried about her husband spending so much time on his own and she was desperate to find a way to connect with him. She told a few staff at the centre about her predicament. And then one day, out of the blue, one of the staff members at the centre gave her a call and and, uh, this person said to her, We've got a part-time job available. Would you like to take it? Mary Daniels immediately agreed on a heartbeat. But... That's when the care centre person said, but the job may be beneath you. So what is it? Mary asked. Uh, Just being a dishwasher at the kitchen. All her life, Mary Daniel had never washed a single dish in her life. She doesn't even have to wash dishes at home. She had uh, servants to help her. And so indeed the job was beneath her. But still she said yes in a heartbeat. She was willing to do any job they offer to get a chance inside the care facility so that she can be with her husband. Even washing dishes, a job beneath her, a job that she didn't need she would still take it because the job allows Mary to see her husband regularly to which she is grateful. And this is what she writes. It is worth it to be able to visit him. And I can, I can already tell, just tell the difference in his demeanor after three visits. I get to go again tonight. It has made a world of difference for me. 
I'm so grateful. I'm so lucky and fortunate. I want to be with Him every day. Would God, would God take a job that's beneath Him in order to be with us? And the answer is yes. Will He lower His pride to walk with us in our drowned, trodden and broken lives? And the answer is yes. And you may ask me, how do you know Jesus did that on that first Christmas? And that's what the message of Christmas is, that God is willing to become a dishwasher, to take up a job that's beneath Him in order to be with us. God has not only done that in Christmas, at Christmas, at the first Christmas, but God has also done that for David way back in the Old Testament. Over the season of Advent, we've been looking at 1 Samuel chapter 21. So we repair our hearts for Christmas. 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, right into 2 Samuel chapter 1, is what is often called David's fugitive years. When David was first called to be king, he was not immediately promoted to king. He had to wait seven agonizing years, wandering from desert to desert, running for his life as King Saul wants to kill him. And it's this seven longed years, that's called David's fugitive years, that we're going to take a look at in 1 Samuel chapter 21. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David just begins his escape and begins his uh, uh, fugitive years. And David is going to spend 1 Samuel chapter 21 in a priestly town called Nob. Uh, this is the first visit that David runs to, to a, a little town called Nob. The Bible calls it a priestly town. And the archaeologists have confirmed that it's a very tiny little town, perhaps of less than 100 people. Would God travel with David to a tiny puny town that's not even worth visiting? And the answer is yes. He, God will do that. And that's what the Samuel chapter 21 is about. That God is willing to go with David and with us even through the wilderness and into the towns that nobody knows into the little towns where there is less than even a hundred people there. And what does God do? What does God do when He comes with us into our wilderness? The two things that God does for David and does still do for us, does for us today. The first thing that God does for David is that God protects. God protects David in the midst of his wilderness wandering. Let's turn to our Bibles or turn on to your Bibles if you are using a phone or if you are using um, a book, uh, um, your Bibles turn to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and let's look at verse 7. Now one of Saul's servants was there. David was there at the, the town of Nob. The day detained before the Lord, he was Doeg, the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. In verse, Samuel, verse 7, we get to meet Doeg, the Edomite, for the first time. As David was there in this little tiny town, we are told that Doeg, this man called Doeg, was there. We are offered two pieces of information about Doeg. Um, firstly, we are told that he's an Edomite. 
that's a clue that he's not part of uh, of Israel and uh, a clue that he's against the people of God and secondly we're told that he is Saul's chief shepherd in the next chapter we're going to see what that means as Saul's chief shepherd Doak is going to function as Saul's eyes He's going to report to Saul. He's actually Saul's spy. He's going to report to Saul everything that has transpired between David and the priest in the town called Abimelech. And his eyes is going to wink with evilness. So this is a man that not only just reports, but he's going to spice up his reports with gossip. He's going to spice up his reports with untruth. He has this evil heart that loves gossip and loves to balloon truth and lapoon it with untruth and with evilness just to make it gossipy, just to make it uh, seasoned with evilness because in the next chapter he is going to report to Saul and we're going to see that he's going to mix the truth with a little bit of evilness uh, in his report he's going to tell Saul that the meeting between David and Abimelech the priest was a political platform which is not really true because David's not there for politics he was there to find out if God still wants him if God still loves him and calls him to be the true leader of Israel. But Doeg is going to twist the truth. Doeg is going to claim that Abimelech, the priest, inquired of Yahweh on David's behalf. Which is not true. The Bible doesn't tell us that. And, and, he, and what, he's, what inquired that Doeg uses later on in the next chapter is the word Sha'al, which is a play on the... Saul's name, because Saul's name is Saul. Doeg is actually reminding Saul that Saul, you are out of God's favor. You can't even call out. You can't even inquire of God. But look at David. He is under God's favor. Aren't you jealous of David? That even the priests inquired of the Lord for him. And Doeg is going to also tell, or also going to tell that. Um, uh, uh, that uh, Abimelech has given to David Goliath salt, telling, uh, which is a hint to, to Saul, that David is armed and dangerous. But if you look at the text, David took the salt of Goliath not because he wants to kill Saul, but for other reasons, which we will look at a little bit later. So Doak is a man that loves gossip, loves to spice up a report with untruth. But not only is he baleful with his words, his actions show that he doesn't blink in the sight of mass murder either. You see, when Saul heard the report, he was so angry that he wanted to kill the priest. So he gave orders to kill the priest in Nob. And no one dared to touch the priest. God's anointed. None of Saul's soldiers dare to lay their hands to kill God's anointed priest. But it was Doak who slayed the 85 priests wearing the ephod without any hesitation. Doak was a dangerous man. And here David meets him for the first time. What would normally happen? 
David could have died in not there. But what does God's word tell us? Doeg could not harm David. Why? Verse 7 puts it very plainly. He could not harm David because he was detained before the Lord. He was detained. God prevented, God protected David from this very dangerous man. He detained Doeg. And the word before the Lord is used earlier on in the chapter to describe the bread that was there, that was offered to David. The bread was also placed before the Lord. The bread that represents the 12 tribes of Israel were there before the eyes of God and God protected him. Here, the whole situation of David and Doeg is before the Lord. The Lord protects David. What does this mean for us? Even when we are wandering through our wilderness this Christmas, when you feel so vulnerable to attack of people, to the attack of your circumstances, with people against you, do not worry. God protects us. Even in ways sometimes we do not even realize. That's what God does. God is a gracious and a powerful God who protects His people. I remember when I was a student in the U.S., I found a studio apartment that was pretty reasonable in price and it looked really pleasant, the surrounding. It was very close to where I was studying. And I really love the area. I befriended another student that lived quite close to me. He was an African-American and he would sometimes bring me to church, um, to his African-American church. The worship there was just dynamic. Everyone was just moving and shouting and dancing. If you think I'm animated, you should be there in the church. Everybody was dancing when the worship was going on. I even joined in some of their wonderful outreach events, the meals that they had. However, one day, just before I graduated, I was driving home. And I noticed that the police had blocked out all the roads to where my apartment was. And uh, we, we just couldn't drive there. So I stopped and I asked one of the police officers what was going on. And he told me that a murder had just happened in the neighborhood. And the murderer was on the run. So it was a very dangerous area at the time. And they had to close all the roads and block out uh, people from entering or leaving. And they told me to go to the Walmart nearby and maybe come back in a few hours' time. And that was what I did. It was then I realized, for the first time in my life, that where I was living was actually the worst part of town. It was where drug trafficking was actually quite rampant and murders were quite rampant. But all through my time there, God was gracious. God protected even when I did not realize it, God protected and even blessed the ministry of the church and the people there. Sometimes God protects us even without our knowing. Secondly, God not only protects us in our fugitive years, but God shows us his, the fingerprints of His grace. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 7 to 9, we find David asking Abimelech, Don't you have a sword or a spear or a sword here? 
I've brought my sword and spear or any other uh, weapon because the king's mission was urgent. Here David was on his run. And though he was uh, trying to find out if God was still with him, here we see a lapse of faith on David's part. David was fearful. Perhaps after seeing Doeg the Edomite, fear started rising within him. So he asked the priest whether there was a sword or a spear, which is very interesting because the request both points to Goliath. The sword here uh, in verse 9 tells us belongs to Goliath. And he also asked if there was a spear. There are only two characters in, in the entire books of 1 and 2 Samuel that carries a spear. And they're Goliath and Saul himself. And many Bible scholars have noticed that the spear is often used in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel as the weapon of oppression. Goliath used that against the Israelites. Saul used that after Goliath's death to hurl David as his weapon of oppression. Whenever he went crazy, he will hurl, he will throw the spear at David. It was his symbol of oppression. So in David's fear, while he was there in the city of Nome, he wanted to have some weapon of oppression. He wanted Goliath's salt or any weapon because he was afraid. Perhaps he was afraid of Doak. But Abimelech's response to David is particularly poignant. It's filled with lots of irony. When David asked for a spear or a sword, the priest answered, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, which you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no salt here but this one. I want to point out three things about this comment from the priest Abimelech. Firstly, David is looking for a weapon that will hopefully bring him victory um, in his mission. Perhaps he was afraid of Doag and Saul attacking him. But he's given a sword that is being associated with the greatest defeat and the greatest defeat from the greatest loser, and that's Goliath. In fact, according to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 51, Goliath's sword is what David uses to cut off after he's been slung by David and knocked down by David. Um, David used Goliath's sword to cut off his head and uh, uh, after he has killed Goliath. And here David is asking for the sword that once brought so much shame and defeat. So there's a great irony here. Secondly, David is asking for a spear or sword. It's ironic because a couple of chapters ago, when David had just declared to Goliath and his troops these words, All those who gather here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. That strong encourages David now has become like one of the Philistines, depending on the sword and the spear, when once he trusted in the Lord. And thirdly, Abimelech tells David that the sword is placed behind the ephod. Within the context of 1 and 2 Samuel, the ephod is sometimes used as a means of communication with God. For instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9, when David's unsure whether or not to attack Saul and to destroy the town of Kilah, 
David was asked for an ephod so that he could ask of God. So when Abimelech tells David that the sword is behind the ephod, he was in fact telling David very subtly, David, don't choose the sword. The sword is what brings, brings defeat to the Philistines. But choose the ephod. Choose the ephod and call upon God. Don't choose the weapon of defeat, David. You have been always fighting God's battle. And God's battle is not fought with the spear of the sword. That's how the Philistines fought. Fight by inquiring of the Lord through the evil. By calling on God. And calling upon Him. What is very interesting is that in the midst of all this mess, when David is filled with fear, when David is homeless, when David has lost his purpose, when David is alone all by himself in such a mess, God still reaches out with grace through this priest in a very subtle way when the priest says to David, David, here is the sword that you wanted but there it's behind the fault. You can also use the fault to call upon God because God is still near. Even when you are fearful, God still wants, God still loves, God still delights to communicate with you. That's what Christmas means, isn't it? And in our midst of our fears, even though we may be like David, once trusting in God, on far for God, fighting God's battles, God's way. But when the fugitive years come, when the support systems have been removed, when the people we loved are gone, when the friends leave dust, in those moments, we tend to be like David, shivering with fear, shivering with uncertainty. But God, in the midst of all that, still says, there is an effort. There is still a way where I still reach out to you by grace. In David's time, it was subtle. It could be easily missed. And God knows that we are blind and short-sighted. That we, are e we will easily miss all these subtleties. That's why he sent Jesus to make the subtlety so plain and clear. So that there will be no excuse for us to call upon him, lean upon him, trust in him, find our delight in him in the midst of the doaxed around us. Witto Pelaki is a man who was who lived in Poland. He lived during the time when the when the Nazis occupied Poland. And during these times when the German Nazis conquered Poland, um, Pelowski knew about and heard about Auschwitz. But he didn't know much about Auschwitz and what the, the Nazis were doing to the people there. So he allowed himself to be captured. 
because he wanted to expose what the Nazis were actually doing at Auschwitz. So he allowed himself to be arrested. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to uh, go through all the hardships. And he was later only known as Inmate 4859. So he was given this tech, Inmate 4859. As he was uh, uh, taken in by the Nazis, he suffered through stomach ailments. He suffered through pneumonia. He suffered through in infestation of the of the of fleas on his uh, his entire body. He saw what soup with crawling insects look like. He had to see the unspeakable cruelty of the guards as they torture. And the Jews and the, the retarded people that have been captured. He saw firsthand what Auschwitz looked like. He was there, brought there through the death trains, and he saw the gas chambers with his own eyes. And finally, he believed what he saw, and he smuggled out reports to Warsaw that later made it to London to tell the Allies what has been going on. Because the Allies at this time did not know what was happening at Auschwitz. But even with the reports that, uh, that Belowski gave to the people in London, the Allies still did not believe him. Nobody would ever believe that people would be so insanely cruel to mass murder so many Jews at the same time. Nobody could ever comprehend that report. Nobody would even believe in that evilness. And so uh, uh, Pulaski wanted the Allies to bomb the, the railway tracks to Auschwitz so that the death trains would not bring the Jews and kill them through the gas chambers at Auschwitz. He wanted them to do that, but the Allies did not believe his report and did not bomb those train tracks. But he still persisted. He still persisted with his reports to the Allies. After the war, he continued he continued his, uh, his, uh, uh, his uh, resistance against the Soviet occupation of Poland. He smuggled out reports to report about the atrocities that uh, the, the KGB people have been doing to his people. And then on May the 8th, 1947, he was captured. And before his trial, he was tortured by the KGB. And on May 25th, 1948, he was taken from his cell and he was shot at the back of his head. It was only 50 years later, after the fall of communism, that people began to believe the report that he has written. And up to this day, he's only known as inmate 4859 by many of the people in authorities. No one would ever believe the fear, the pain that sometimes we go through in these fugitive years. And sometimes it is hard for people to understand that loneliness, that fear, 
that even a man of God wants to feed a giant with slings, with a sling and stones, would now be would be reduced to somebody so fearful that he was willing even to be so desperate to long for the Goliath sword that was once the weapon of defeat to protect himself. Who would ever believe that such a giant of faith, David, would resort to such actions? But God believed. God came down to be with David even through his most trying times. To say, I believed you. I know what you are going through. Even when the world doesn't seem to comprehend and have compassion, God says, I believe. I stand by you. I'm willing to come down to your Auschwitz to witness your pain and bring you through. That's why we have Christmas. That's why Christmas is so important. Because if there is no Christmas, if Jesus had not come for us, our wilderness wanderings will be an entire waste of time. It will be a laughing stock. And David will be remembered as a fool and a coward. But because God comes, and even in David's darkest moments, to reach out to David with an ephod. And in our darkest moments, God comes and says, People may love and not understand and criticize you, but I understand. And my son will channel your request to me. That's the beauty of Christmas. Father, as we come to you this morning to, to you, Father, many of us are going through difficult times in this season of Christmas. In this pandemic-filled season where many are lost. Father, we thank you that you do not frown upon our weaknesses. That even in our weaknesses, like like even a, a giant in the faith like David could become so weak that he longed for anything to protect himself. Father, we can become that way too. But Father, you do not laugh at us. You do not ridicule us. But instead, you come and reach to us, reach out to us with grace. Thank you that Christmas shows us that there is grace. Grace for all the undeserving, for all the fugitives, for all the refugees. And in you, Father, we find our rest. In you, Father, we find our resurrection. Thank you for being the Savior that has come, died for us, and one day will resurrect us from our fugitive years to be with you in glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.